All right, if you have your Bibles, you might open up to 2 Thessalonians today in the New Testament. We've been going through the New Testament letters over the last several weeks, been reading through them and then going back and talking about some very significant things that they teach about that maybe we might not catch if we don't slow down a little bit. <clears throat> today we're in Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonia. This church was a church made up mostly of, of Gentile God-fearers, people who were not Jewish but were worshiping God in the Jewish synagogues of the first century, and they had left the synagogue when they heard Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they believed in Jesus, so they left the synagogues and went with him. So that's where we're at, okay? So let's take a moment. Let's just ask God to bless our time as we look at his word, ask him to speak to us and speak to our hearts and lives, okay? Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for the songs we just sung. Lord, be glorified in your church, Cornerstone Southern Baptist Church. Be glorified in your church universal, all of the churches who believe in you, who follow you, who teach the true Christ, the true gospel. Be with each of these. Be with us who preach, those who teach, those who uh, who will witness. Be with just your people who uh, who are part of the body. And just bless us all, Father. We pray for that through your word, through your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, today that you would just guide and direct us and, and use me for your glory. I pray that, that, Father, you'll speak to me and to all of us who hear and watch, that, Father, you will uh, teach us and strengthen our faith and guide and direct us. And maybe, Father, through this message, someone will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that is your work, that is your desire to see people come to know your Son, to know you as well. We ask for these things, Father, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> like I said, they believed in Jesus, they heard the gospel, and they believed in Jesus Christ. What does believing in Jesus mean? I think today we have to be more careful about what we say about believing in Jesus. I think today, especially in America, we have to be more clear about what that really means, believing in Jesus. The early church believed Jesus died for our sins, not his, because he had it, he had none. That he died, but he overcame death and rose up from the grave. In 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in a body, but made alive by the Spirit. Not all churches are teaching that so much anymore. Many of them are focusing on other things. Some people think that Jesus rose up and overcame the grave so you could be healthy and well, so that you could have all the money you ever wanted, so that you could have things in this life instead of eternal life with God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the early church taught. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, listen to this. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the first century church believed and taught in the death, the sacrificial death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave, for the sins of mankind. And for 2,000 years or more, Christians have staked their eternal destiny on these beliefs. And many of them have suffered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul preached, Jesus suffered and died, was buried and rose up from the, from the grave, overcoming death, so that everyone who believed in Jesus, who he is and what he has done for them, would have eternal life and have a life-changing relationship with God now. Never do you see Paul talk about getting wealthy because of the gospel. Never do you see Paul talking about, well, you should never be sick, 
No Christian should ever be sick because you're saved. Never talks about those things. He focuses on the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about, about sin. He talks about our need for salvation. He talks about that's what Jesus died for so we could be saved, so that we have that eternal, life-changing relationship with God. Now, many of us have heard this for a very long time in America. We've all heard that we grew up in this and to a certain degree, to a certain extent. But, in the, but for first century Christians, for this church in Thessalonica, many of them had grown up in pagan homes. They'd never heard anything like what Paul talked about. And they'd become God-fearers, people who, had, who, had, who were Gentiles, who were worshiping God in the synagogue. They, they worshiped through Judaism, so they didn't know anything about this salvation by grace. They didn't know anything about a sacrificial atonement death on the cross or the resurrection. They, this was all new to them. And when they believed in Jesus, they began to experience persecution almost instantly for their faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica to encourage, in them, to encourage them to keep on believing in Jesus no matter what happened. That's the same task you and I have today. Well, our task is to get up every day pray and, and, and talk to God and, and trust in Jesus Christ for our daily lives and trust in Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation that someday when we pass over when our lives are done in this world that he'll accept us with him in heaven so when they believed in Jesus Christ they begin to experience that persecution and, and, and we don't have that experience quite yet do we but we still have to believe we still have to have faith Paul, by the way, was a great example for them. He suffered as much or more than anybody else did for believing in Jesus Christ. We, we don't really grasp that. Believing in Jesus brings persecution. It certainly did in the first century. In this letter, point number one on your outline, in this letter, Paul said, God will deal with those who trouble his people. That God will deal with those who trouble his people. Let's read chapter 1. Chapter 1 goes like this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always ought to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and so to us as well. This will happen when the Lord is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. And this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said God will deal with those who trouble his people. That God will handle that, that, that situation of, uh, of persecution. That he will bring justice to that matter. Paul began this letter, as he usually does all of his letters, by personally extending 
to his readers God's grace and peace. I like that. We kind of skip over that, but I like that someone would write to me and say, hey, I want you to have God's grace. I want you to have God's peace. Well, then he jumps right into the reason why he wrote this letter. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. Verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your persecution, I'm sorry, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be kind of worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. Paul said he thanked God for them. He thanked God for them and for their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you do that for me? And I think maybe we ought to start focusing more on that, don't you? We ought to be thanking God for each other, for, our, for each other's faith, and how your faith strengthens me, and hopefully my faith strengthens you. As well as our faith gathering here in this place is strengthening those at home who can't be here with us. We should be praying more about encouraging each other through our faith. We should ask God to bless us more and more. He said he knew they were suffering simply for believing in Jesus Christ. Simply for believing. It's not like they went out door knocking. They just simply believed and lived out their belief. And that's why he wrote them this letter. And he thanked God for them and their faith. He knew they were suffering and he was thankful they were faithful. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for the church here at Cornerstone. We, we haven't been suffering persecution, but this coronavirus thing has got our country all messed up, right? I mean, it's a, it's a real concern. I'm not diminishing the concern at all. People are wearing masks. People can't touch. They can't hold hands. They can't shake hands. They don't, they're afraid to touch the door where somebody else touched the door. We're afraid to go out to eat. We're afraid to meet in person. We're afraid because of this coronavirus. So I'm encouraged when I see people in the church this morning gathering together, worshiping. We ought to be thankful for each other's faith. I certainly am. Christians in America today have no concept of how Christians have suffered throughout the centuries for 2,000 years. We have no idea of what that really was like. We read about it in history books and it just seems kind of bizarre. It just seems like something that just doesn't, you know, we know it's not right, but how did that happen? And Christians are still suffering terribly today just for being believers in Jesus Christ. We have to admit that we take our faith for granted at times, don't we? The worst thing that we experience is ridicule, right? People make, how can you believe in a God who made a world like this? You know, something like that. How can you believe in somebody who, who lived and died 2,000 years ago? I mean, we hear things that people might mock the Christian faith. That's the worst thing we experience here in America today. But for the first century Christians, they experienced persecution on a regular basis. They experienced persecution from their governments. The governments they lived under persecuted the Christians. They, they experienced persecution from other religions. Judy, Judy, uh, Jewish people persecuted Christians. Other religions persecuted Christians. The Romans persecuted Christians. They experienced persecution in the cultures where they lived. They weren't allowed to do certain things. They weren't allowed to be part of the culture because they believed in Jesus Christ and they didn't believe in the other gods. If you don't believe me, just go read the book of Acts in the Bible. Read the book of Acts. Christians were attacked by mobs. They were arrested and beaten and they were taken to court over and over and over. Just read that and you'll see 
all the persecution that went on. So when Paul wrote this letter, he acknowledged their suffering. I like that too, don't you? That he would acknowledge their suffering. Hey, I know you're going through a terrible time. But he also said something very important to them. He said in verse 6 and 7, he said this. Look at verse 6. God is just. Man, can you say amen to that? Amen. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give grief, give relief to you who are troubled. It is it, and to us as well. Paul said God would give them relief, meaning justice, but also just a sense of physical relief that God would comfort them. And this had to have been encouraging for them, people. You know what? It would have been encouraging to me. It's encouraging me today. It must have helped them to hang in there just a little bit more, a little bit longer, to be a little more tenacious in their faith. And I think today all of us need a little bit more tenacity in the faith and believing in Jesus Christ. In Psalm 105, verse 15, David wrote this, this verse. And it's God speaking to David. And God said to David, he said, Do not touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. In the Old Testament era, not everybody was anointed. Not everybody got to be anointed. Matter of fact, most people didn't get anointed from God. Mainly it was just God's prophets and some of the kings of Israel, men who had been selected to lead the people or selected to share with the people God's word, God's message that he wanted them to hear. Prophets like Isaiah. Isaiah was persecuted. He was killed. He was definitely an anointed man of God. Many of the prophets were abused and killed simply because of the message God gave them to share with the world. Today, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is anointed. We're all anointed by the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we accept Christ into our heart and life, when we truly do that, and we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us, He anoints us, and He seals in us. He becomes our seal and guarantee. So we're anointed. Men and women, all Christians, are anointed by God for salvation. And still today, Christians are being persecuted around the world for their faith in Jesus Christ. You think that makes God happy? I don't think it does. Over and over he says that he'll be just. Over and over he says that he will pay back those who bring harm to his people. And God, Paul said God is just, that he will give us anointed ones relief, that God will pay back the people who trouble God's people. Look at verse 8 with me in chapter 1. It says 8, verse 8, He will punish those who do not know God and not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the, from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. And what Paul simply means by testimony is his witness, his sharing the gospel. Now, Paul didn't mean that God won't punish anybody until that day because we do know that people are punished by God in this life and in this world. But on the last day, God's final judgment will be enacted. And those people who trouble God's people, those people who harm God's people, will suffer forever for the way they treated the church. In Hebrews 10, verse 30 and 31, we're told this. We're told, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. We know who that is, right? Who is that? That's God. God said that. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. 
So I would say to those who persecute the church, those who, who, who even ridicule the church, be careful who you abuse. Be careful who you make fun of. Be careful who you trouble because God will trouble you in return. We should never think, though, just because we live in America that persecution will never come to us. We should never think that we're exempt from suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ because someday it will come. It might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. But someday it's going to come. And what are we going to do when it comes? Are we going to be faithful like the Thessalonians? Are we going to be a witness and a testimony to the other Christians around the world to our faith? to our relationship with God. Don't be discouraged if you suffer persecution. God is just. God is just. He will avenge. Then in chapter 2, he changes topics. Paul just slides right out of this, this idea of persecution. Now he goes into something else, and he began to talk about Jesus' return. And he's really focused here on the return here. So let's read chapter 2. <clears throat> He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so he may be revealed at the proper time, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, and destroy by the splendor of his coming, the coming of the lawless one, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason God sends them a, sends them a powerful delusion so they may believe the lie and so that the all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Paul said someone evil will be revealed when Jesus comes back. That when Jesus returns... That right before Jesus returned, that, that this lawless man will be revealed. Someone evil will be revealed, and then Jesus will come back. He will return. Now, Paul wrote both of his letters to assure the Christians at Thessalonia that Jesus hadn't come back yet. They heard he had. They had been told by somebody that he had come back, and they thought they'd been left behind. Can you imagine that? That must have been very, very frightening to think that you missed it. That Jesus came back, he's come back, and, and I missed it. Can you imagine that thought? In the middle and the latter part of the first century of the early church, there were false teachers who wrote letters using the names of, the, of various apostles and other church leaders. And they sent out letters in these false names, and they told lies about Jesus. They taught lies and, and mistruths, and they tried to lead people away from biblical Christianity and the true Jesus Christ. So one of these false teachers must have written a letter or said something to the people of Thessalonica, to the church in Thessalonia, and that Jesus had come and gone, and you've missed it. I wonder how that person explained that they missed it too. You know, have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Jesus said his return would be so obvious 
no one, listen, no one will miss his return. He said it's going to be so obvious you can't miss it. In Matthew 24, 27, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As lightning that is visible in the east and, and seen in the west is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Lightning can, is, can be, lightning can, can come down hundreds of miles away and we can still see it. It can, it can be counties and can be number of counties over and we can still see it. It's that visible in the sky and that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. We're not going to miss it. We won't miss his return. It'll be so obvious we won't be able to miss it. And Paul said before that happens, before Jesus does come back, a rebellion will happen first. Look at verse 3 again. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Something is going to happen in this world, a great rebellion across the globe against God. The Greek word that Paul used for our English word rebellion is apostasia. It's apostasia, where we get our English word apostasy. It means to fall away or to abandon. Not simply just to fall away, but to abandon one's faith in God. That's what it means in the religious sense. It means to, to abandon your faith in God. To let go of God and begin to trust in something else. So before Jesus comes back, before the return, there will be a great falling away from biblical Orthodox Christianity. And I believe we're starting to see that today. Now, maybe I could be wrong. I'm, I, I'm not a prophet. I'm not trying to be a prophet. But I see a lot of this going on today in our world. People are abandoning biblical Christianity for some other form of Christianity. Something weaker, something limited, I see as you know, today, in our, and especially in our culture. The gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ is being abandoned for the prosperity gospel. I know you've been hearing me say that a lot lately. It's just really, I've been woken up to this. The name and claim it gospel, the where you can pray and say, hey, God, I want this. And according to, to what they believe, to the preachers who say this, God has to give it to you. Remember, the, the, the verse they like to use is, well, if you have the faith like a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, fall into the sea, and it'll do it. But what if it's not God's will? Is that mountain going to fall in the sea? No. Are you going to get whatever you claim? No. Not if it's not God's will. There's also the word of faith. The word of faith movement. That gospel there as well. And it says, you know, if I speak it, it's the truth. If I speak it, I have power like God. God gives me his power to use in my world, my life. We're seeing these false gospels luring people away we have to be careful we're seeing wolves in the church today men and women who say all kinds of things that are contrary to the gospel of jesus christ contrary to what jesus taught contrary to what the bible says particularly in matters of sexuality we're seeing that especially today and lifestyles lifestyles especially as well Jesus warned the church about these false teachers as well. In Matthew 24, verse 24, he said this, For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Jesus warned the church 2,000 years ago, look out for liars in the church. Look out for deceivers. People who are trying to line their own pockets through the church. 
Paul said this rebellion, this apostasy will reveal who this, who that person is, that evil person is. Verse 3 and 4, look at that again. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything and is called God for his worship. So he sets himself in God's temple, proclaimed himself to be God. This man is going to be very obvious as well. We're going to know who the man of lawlessness is because he's going to do these very things. The man of lawlessness is not Satan. He is not Satan, but he is a he will be a follower of Satan. He will he will be someone who is in league or partnership with Satan. He will be an antichrist. The greatest antichrist the world will ever know, this man will be that antichrist, and he will be incredibly more evil than any other antichrist. You think Adolf Hitler was evil, Joseph Stalin was evil, Mao Zedong was evil. This man is going to be far more evil than any of those men. In John 17, verse 12, Jesus was praying to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested. And he referred to Judas as doomed to destruction. Remember that in John 17, verse 12? None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus knew that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was the one who was doomed to destruction. Jesus knows, knows now, today, who this man of lawlessness is at the end of time. Whether he's born or not, Jesus knows who the man will be. And he's warned us. He doesn't give us a name, but he gives us attributes and actions that, that this man will do, and we, we will know him by his what? By his fruit. Paul says he'll try to set himself up as God. He will oppose God himself in every way that he can. He will exalt himself even over God, the God, the creator of the universe. He will seek to be worshipped as God. He will seek to set himself up, proclaim himself to be God. See, these are things that we can pay attention to and watch and look for in our lifetimes. And if they don't come true in our lifetime, well, that's okay, because guess what? What happens to the Christian when we die? Paul said to be apart from the bodies, to be with the Lord. So we go be with Jesus. Yeah. But if we're here at the end of time, we want to know, right? The Bible has told us the things we need to watch for. The Bible's told us that here's how you'll know this person. And here's how you'll know the moment, well, here's how you know that Jesus is coming back very soon. Paul even said he'll try to set himself up in God's temple. This could be the church. He could try to become a great leader of the church and then turn himself into God, in a sense, in the church. The church is viewed as God's temple today. We are seen as the temple of God. It could mean he might try to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, though. I don't think that's going to happen because the Muslims aren't going to let that happen unless it's a mosque. And, it, and he's going to try to set himself up. And that's going to offend the Muslims because they believe in Allah. They don't believe in Yahweh, God, but they believe in their God, Allah. They call Allah. So he's not going to be able to do I don't think he's going to be able to set up a temple in Jerusalem. But I think he's going to try. By doing these things, he will reveal clearly who he is, that he is the man of lawlessness. This man will also be a very political figure, meaning he will have great power in this world, not only just religious power, which is very powerful, more powerful than people realize, but he will have political power and position. This will be so obvious that no Christian, no Christ-believing, Christ-following Christian will miss this person. And it will mean that we can look forward to Jesus returning very soon. In Luke 21, verse 28, Jesus said this, 
when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when we see this, we should be getting excited, not worried. Why? Because we know that Jesus will return very soon. That this man will try to do these things, but he will fail. Jesus will come back and enforce God's justice. Does that encourage you? If it does, just say amen. Amen. What do we do until then? I don't know who the man of lawlessness is. I don't know who the man to be doomed will be. I don't know his name. I don't even know when he'll be here. What do we do until then? Well, Paul tells us because he told the Thessalonians first in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he said, pray, work, and do what's right. Pray, work, and do what's right. Let's read chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commit... I'm sorry, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule: If a man will not eat, he shall not work. I'm sorry. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul said to pray, work, and do what's right until either your life ends or till Jesus comes back. That's pretty simple. I think we can do that, don't you? Amen. I think we can do that. Look at verse 1 to 4. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you're doing all, I'm sorry, you're doing, and will continue to do the things we command. Wow. Paul said, pray. He said, pray so that what the true gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached and received. I like that fact. It's not just that we should preach the gospel, but we should pray that it's preached and received. I think we need to be doing that more often, don't you? Not only should we pray that Gary preaches the gospel, that people hear it, they hear the voice of God's spirit moving in their spirit, and they receive it. Pray so that Paul and other gospel preachers, true gospel preachers, and all Christians would be retracted, protected, I'm sorry, from evil men and their schemes. Paul says, look, ask God to protect the church. 
Ask God to protect the anointed ones. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul said, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That means good and bad. So we ought to be thankful to God when we're going through struggles and persecution. Paul also said to work while we wait, meaning make a living and serve God through your work, secular or religious, to always strive to do what's right. I like that, don't you? To let God lead us to know what the right is and then to do it. Verse 7. He says there, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, and nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this real man work he shall not eat we hear that some among you are idle they are not busy they are busy bodies such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat and as for you brothers never tire of doing what is right what is right what is moral what is true what is from God that is what we're called to do in all circumstances of life whether in our church or in our workplace or in our homes we're at the grocery store. We're trying to do our best to do what is right. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So ladies, whatever you do, whether you're retired or you're working full time, you're working for God. You might be working for the state of Kansas or some business, but you're really working for the Lord. Because your witness is right there in the workplace or with your family or, or in the neighborhood. As we think about the Christian faith today and we look around in our culture today and the Christian in the church, we could easily become discouraged. A lot of things that we're seeing in Christianity today is not that great. But if we stay focused on our relationship with Jesus, if we keep praying and serving God in whatever work He gives us to do. We won't be deceived and we won't be discouraged, or at least we won't be overcome by discouragement. In Job 36, verse 7, Job's friend Elihu said something, something wise about God. At least this is one wise thing that this man said about God, and I'm glad that it's in the Bible, aren't you? He said, he, God does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. That's true. God does it. He doesn't take his eyes off of his people. The ones that he's made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't take his eyes off of I mean, he doesn't watch over, doesn't stop watching over us. He is always taking care of us, always watching over us. And, and right now, right now, God sees what we do in his name. And he'll reward us for being faithful to him and to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Right now, maybe somewhere out there in watching this, this video on Facebook or we'll watch it later on later today or tomorrow whenever and they might have a sense of God is speaking to them and they don't know what to do God's watching you he's looking for you he's wanting he's drawing you and he wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ how do you do that well you must do it from your heart you have to believe it amen folks yeah you have to believe this that this is what God wants for you and that this is what he's calling you to do. And all you have to do is just talk to God in a very simple prayer. 
Let's just bow. You pray for somebody right here. You all pray for somebody you know who needs to do this. But if you've never given your life to Christ today, just pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Savior today and every day. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I hope you'll call me at 785-843-0442 or email me at cornerstonesbc at lawrence.com or yahoo.com, I'm sorry. Lawrence.com. Let me know. And I'll be glad to send you information about what it means to be a Christian and, and how to follow up and keep going, all right? So right now, we're going to sing a song of invitation, allow anybody out there just to think about this prayer and to uh, trust in God.